So a uh, very quick recap from last week, John uh, chapter uh, 1 through uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 16, uh, very uh, familiar to uh, most Christians, and we uh, went into depth of Jesus's mission here when he came to this earth was to seek and save that which was lost, that, that God sent his only begotten son, uh, that anybody who should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life, and that God didn't send his son to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved, right? John 3.17. So as we uh, discussed that, we, we dove deep into it, and uh, he's, Jesus was having the conversation uh, with Nicodemus and uh, explaining to him a spiritual, tr- spiritual truth that he wasn't understanding and had to just continue to, to hit the point until Nicodemus understood and we talked about the transformation through Nicodemus's life that he once came to Jesus by you know in secret, then he uh, carefully defended Jesus later on in, in uh, John I think it was chapter seven, and then uh, we see that as Jesus uh, his, his his body dead on the cross that he made a public uh, declaration of his faith and asking that he might be one of them to go take him down with Joseph of Arimathea and to embalm Jesus uh, and place him in the tomb. So, and we discussed how that, that, that cost him everything in his life. And I, I personally believe that he didn't have a regret of that, that he, he knew who the true God is and that he uh, made the public profession of his faith by, uh, by the works that he, that he did. So uh, we also learn that God provides physical and eternal life. You know, God made our physical bodies uh, you know, down to the most intricate, into the cellular level. Uh, he also gives us new life in him where his spirit starts putting our spiritual life uh, together uh, and as we are new creations in Christ. We're given, uh, as the Holy Spirit uh, cleanses us, us of our old flesh, that, that he, he continues to, to build us. And so it's, it's, a, it's a process that we go through. I was here for Wave Escape uh, meeting on Friday, and Brian Garrity uh, was speaking. He said, some people, it's, it's a quick transformation, and your life has changed instantly. Some of us, it might take 20, 30 years till, till we really just are submitting ourselves and let the Holy Spirit uh, take control and submitting ourselves to the Lordship of Christ. We, we need to do that initially, but sometimes we hold on to things. Sometimes it takes longer uh, for somebody to come around, but the Lord makes us new. And as we submit to him, the fruit of the spirit starts taking over our lives. Love, joy, uh, uh, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Those things, uh, as we, as we let things go, the Holy Spirit uh, just ministers to us and builds us. And uh, we talked about uh, like the wind, the fruits of the spirit, we can see the effects of the wind. We can't see the wind, but we can see the effects of it. We talked about, uh, you know, a hurricane or a tornado and you can see things flying around and everything. When uh, the world, our, our family, our loved ones, the ones that we work with, that they see our lives, they should see the effects of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we are bearing the fruits of the Spirit and that we're, uh, we're praising him through how we live. So that's a recap of, of what we discussed in John chapter 3 uh, verses. I, I think we did uh, started at 1 and went through uh, 21. Might have started a little bit back in twenty uh, in uh, chapter 2. Not really sure. But we are picking up in John chapter 3 verse 22. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing in Anon uh, near Salim, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison, 
Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. So uh, John the Apostle continues to uh, narrate uh, uh, what Jesus was doing in Judea. Uh, the three other Gospels focus mostly on his ministry in Galilee. So I like in verse 23 where it says here that there was much water. I love that. Because what we're seeing here is that God is calling a lot of sinners. There's a lot of water and a lot of sinners. And uh, they, we, uh, there's a lot of water there for them to be baptized. So uh, naturally, John chose that place, and he's calling, and sinners are responding to the call uh, uh, to repentance and being baptized, that they're turning from their sins and, and uh, being uh, made new. So, you know, God drew them uh, to John, and, and John's faithful to the ministries he was given. So in verse 24, it says that John was not yet thrown into prison. And uh, he was thrown into prison for calling out Herod for his sin, that he took his, his, his brother's wife. And uh, his brother's wife didn't like that. We're familiar with the story. Uh, if you're not, uh, John called them out. Uh, Herodias hated him so much that uh, uh, they ended up getting him thrown into prison. And then she goes, sends her daughter in to pervertedly dance between, in front of uh, Herod and, and all the people in front of him so that she knew he would be cornered. And then at the end of her dance, her provocative dance, he says, well, you know, what, what do you ask? You, you can have anything you want. And all she asked for was the head of John the Baptist on a platter. You know, and he knew at that point he had been taken. He knew that he'd been tricked, and, and he had to, had to do it. So John lost his life. So when it says that he hadn't yet been thrown into prison, uh, that's the, the end result. And we know that John lost his, his, his life. Uh, we know that he gained his spiritual life at that point. But it's important to understand that even though he was a faithful servant, uh, he he still lost his life. You know, you can look at Hebrews when 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 you look at the the book of Hebrews and you start looking into what we know as the Hall of Faith and you start reading through. I'm going to read you two verses from Hebrews 11, verses 38, uh, 37, 38 says uh, regarding the persecuted that were sharing uh, the word that uh, you know prophets, uh, anybody that was uh, speaking on behalf of the Lord that were uh, that were persecuted for their faith. It says they were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted were slain by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Look at verse 38. Of whom the world was not worthy. The world had their way with them, but the world wasn't worthy of them. You know, the Lord used them so mightily that, that the darkness wanted to shut them up, and uh, they did all they could. But, uh, you know, God still used those uh, mightily, and we understand here that the world was not worthy of them. Verses 25 and uh, verse 25, we see that uh, we, there's a dispute between the religious leaders and John's disciples. We don't know exactly what was said in the dispute, but I think it might be something close to what we witness in, in Matthew. Uh, sorry, Mark 7. Uh, remember Mark 7, the religious leaders called Jesus out because his disciples uh, ate bread without ceremoniously washing their hands. And um, they weren't washing their hands like they, the religious leaders, would do when they left the marketplace or or uh, other public places. They do a, a ceremonial hand cleaning, and uh, the, what we see is that uh, Jesus confronts them because in verse three of, of Mark seven it says that they were holding to their tradition, and uh, like I said, they they were doing that as a ceremonial thing not to wash just wash dirt from their hands they were saying you know i've been around unclean people i'm going to wash my hands 
Mark 7, verses 6 through 9 and verse 13 say, He answered, Jesus said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. The washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do, he said to them, all too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. Verse 13 says, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down and many such things you do. So Jesus goes on to call out uh, after that. So he, he confronts the religious leaders saying, hey, you're giving these guys a hard time. Uh, and uh, you're, you're coming to me saying that they haven't ceremoniously washed their hands. You're honoring man's tradition over the word of God and the commandment of God. And, God, and Jesus corrects them. So when we see that, that happen, Jesus continues uh, in that same passage in Mark 7. Jesus then calls the multitude to himself and explains uh, something that's, that, that it's not what goes into our body uh, that, that defiles somebody. It's what comes out. And he explains that what goes into a body, uh, it gets processed and eliminated. But it's, what's, it's what comes out. Jesus said in uh, Mark 7, verses 15 and then 21 and, uh, tw through 23, says, There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him... Those are the things that defile a man. Verse 21 says, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, uh, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. So there was a, a dispute about purification. I, my, I, my initial thought went right to that. They, that they, we don't know what they were arguing with John about uh, where his, with his disciples. I suspect it's similar to what they were, uh, they were trying to confront Jesus for. Whatever it was, we know that, that they, uh, those religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, uh, that they would often confront Jesus and that uh, they were often confronting him based on the basis of their traditions more than the word of God. Back in uh, John chapter 3, verses 26, uh, in, in verse 26, it says, And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. John answered and said to him, and, and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, and the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has uh, seen and heard, he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who, he who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. 
the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son does not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. So we understand when we go back, uh, so there's a group in, in, in uh, John's disciples, they, they come to him and say, Rabbi, he who was, you know, uh, had, had come with you, was with you beyond the Jordan, uh, to whom you've, you know, testified, behold, uh, he is baptizing. So Jesus is baptizing. And uh, what we understand from John chapter 4, when we get into that chapter here momentarily, it tells us that, that uh, Jesus himself wasn't performing the baptisms, but his, he had delegated that to his disciples. So he'd preach and, and then his disciples would baptize. So the news of Jesus' ministry uh, was music to John's ears. It, it, when, when we see that it, he said here, uh, that his joy was, it says, he said, my joy is fulfilled. You know, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase and I must decrease. John had a proper heart of uh, to do ministry. There can't be uh, doing ministry to build a kingdom unto ourselves. And that's any ministry. There, there, there's, there's no part of ministry that anybody should be trying to use to elevate themselves. It's about praising the Lord. So John knew that his own ministry was to prepare the way of Jesus, and that's, that's what he says here. So he was elated to hear uh, that men were coming to Christ. And then he says, he who has the bride is the bride, uh, he, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. So John identifies himself as the one that's close to the bridegroom, like the best man, that rejoices to hear the voice of Jesus. John knew that uh, the church belongs to Christ and that he gets to be an eyewitness and he gets to partake in, in, uh, in the ministry of Christ. Uh, as Christ is ministering to his bride. It's, it's a blessing to read that. And John's joy, we see, was fulfilled in knowing that the bridegroom, Jesus, was ministering. You know, he knew that uh, his ministry, John, John's ministry, was fulfilled. His job was to point people to Jesus. And uh, he said you know, he was the one that was, uh, that was sent to uh, make straight the way of the Lord, to declare uh, that Jesus was coming. There's a great, uh, there's a great encouragement here in the example that John sets here uh, to stay faithful to whatever we're called. You know, he's working in and through us. You guys have heard me, and sorry I sound like a broken record, but the ministry of cleaning up trash around this church is just important as as what I'm doing here. That we're serving the Lord. When we when you think of Colossians three twenty three, it says uh, for us to do all things heartily as unto the Lord. You know, my my service isn't of uh, uh, more importance to the Lord than your obedience and your service to Him to what you were called. We're called to different things, but you know, my service isn't. It's not like uh, you know God's more impressed with uh, with me if I'm obedient than if with you if you're obedient. You know, we're just supposed to be obedient to the Lord as His children to do whatever we're called to do. So John John was faithful in his ministry. Yeah, I, and understanding that our ministry isn't ours. This is not my church. I'm the brand new pastor here of less than two months, but this this church does not belong to me. This isn't a kingdom unto myself. I'm not I'm not here uh, to to make followers of me. My job is to preach the word and make followers of Jesus Christ. And the, as the word goes out, we're just going to talk about that here in a little bit more. God's word goes out and it accomplishes what He wills. Isaiah 55, you guys have heard me say that several times. It's important to understand how powerful the word of God is. So my job is to preach it and, and, uh, and to teach, and, and he will use it. 
You know, I can get up here and try to get clever with things and try to try to make things a little more exciting or do this and that. You guys probably know I'm not all dynamic. I'm not running around. I'm not screaming. And you know, I'm dressed. I got jeans and a t-shirt on. It's it's about Christ. You know, I'm not I'm not trying to make myself famous or anything. You know, when we're up here playing and before we before we even practice, there's always a prayer of us that that God would be glorified and that we would be able to focus and praise Him and bring glory and honor to His name. So John's response when everybody's coming is like, hey, he's out there. You know, is this now a competing ministry or whatever? And John sets the record straight. He says, no, he must increase, but I decrease. You know, he increases, I decrease. And that's that's always a, a great heart to have uh, in ministry or just in our lives, that the Lord would continue to increase in our lives. You know, John knew that his ministry was important, but that his ministry was inferior to that of Jesus and and godly humility, 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 if I can spit it out, I mean, he proclaims this. You know, we're, we're not to touch God's glory. All glory belongs to God and not man. You know, if you think of it, you probably heard the, the analogy given, and uh, I, I like it, so I'm just forwarding it. I didn't just come up with this myself. But if you consider a scalpel, that scalpel is absolutely useless unless it's in the hands of a surgeon. So for any tool, any anyone that's been uh, used by the Lord to claim any any glory, it's it would be like a scalpel, you know, this piece of metal that's sharp and sits there and sits in somebody's hand for that that scalpel to boast that it is it is anything in and of itself. It's not. It's a tool that's that's uh, there to be used. So we're we're nothing without a surgeon. We're nothing without the Lord. You know, uh, God God can use us or put us away. You know, we become a, a boastful servant of the Lord, then we can, that scalpel, oh, this one needs to be put aside for a while and needs to learn. And uh, and then maybe I can use him or her again. But it's about uh, humility with a humble heart, you know, bringing glory to, to his name. Uh, yesterday, uh, we when we were here and we were blessed to have uh, Fall Family Fun Day, uh, it was a, a blessing to to uh, Shane and, and Justin uh, led us in some song. And I, I, I just had a brief word about uh, unity in Christ and the importance of being in church and, and uh, regular attendance. Uh, and, and I made it clear, look, I'm not, I'm not trying to recruit you uh, to this church. I'm, I just want you to follow Christ wherever he leads you. And if that's it, family Bible or whatever church in the, in the area that's preaching the word of God accurately, uh, then go. You know, God bless you. We've got a brother or sister that attends there, and we're we're blessed that you came here and hung out with us, and and we got to know you better. You know, that's that's a, a wonderful thing. But at the end of it, you know, the Lord just laid on my heart to share. You know, we are the light of the world. That's what the scripture says. You know, a city on the hill cannot be hidden. You know, and uh, Jesus said in Matthew five verses fourteen through sixteen, "You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket." but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Verse 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they see that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. They don't see us and go, Wow, you're a really good guy. You know, what is it about you? Just a really good guy. You know, you, you know you're blessed to be in my presence, right? Yeah, that may, that's one of those things you've heard the expression, I don't mean to be crass or anything. Like, I, I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. It's like, oh, that you turn in my stomach. Don't talk like that. You know, the, that, that when people see the good work, hey, what is it about you? Why are, why are you paying for my groceries or why are you doing these things? Hey, uh, you know, I don't know if you know the Lord, but I want to just tell you Jesus loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. Uh, forgive you of your sins and, and give you a new life. 
and just and watch how that ministers. It, wouldn't that be so much greater than stand there and be like, just because I, you know, why don't why don't we call the news crew over and we can get my face on there? You can put a big check of what I paid for, you know, whatever. Just just the foolishness of that. You know, our works are to glorify the Lord, and and John knew that, and and he when he said he must increase and I decrease, John knew that it wasn't. Hey, this is the John the Baptist ministries. I got to get the, the the caravan behind me and everybody, you know, clapping my name and doing all these things. He was here to point people to Jesus, and he made that very clear. He goes on in verse thirty-one to say, "He who comes from heaven is above all." And this is a proclamation of the of the deity of Christ that He's eternal. You know, he who is of the earth speaks of earthly things. Uh, Jesus being from heaven uh, speaks of heavenly things. That uh, he and he goes on to say that which he has seen and heard and know. He's talking about Jesus as the superior minister. That uh, coming down from heaven, uh, he's a superior minister. Verse thirty-two says, "No one receives his testimony." You know, understand that the rejection of the gospel. If we're sharing and and the gospel is rejected by family, friends, whatever it is, uh, it's because their heart is being pricked by the Lord, and they're, they're they may re be rejecting you also, but ultimately they're rejecting the Lord. There's the rejection of the Lord. You know, sometimes uh, you know as we're sharing the word, most of the time we should be sharing, um, and it, it really we should be sharing in love all at all times. Sometimes, if somebody is is uh, a believer and they're just uh, not walking with the Lord and they're they're starting to follow their flesh, they might need a more stern correction. Uh, there might be that harsh, like, "What are you doing? What are you doing, man? You know better." You know, the, when you have that relationship with them. But if we go around just lopping off ears, uh, just just trying to make ourselves feel good, then that's one thing. But we need to we need we can't shy away from the hard things. You know, hey, what you're doing is going to ruin your life. I love you too much to not tell you that. Especially if it's another believer, we can say, hey, man, you know this stuff. Or, hey, girl, uh, you, you know this stuff. And, and it, you know, we, we've studied, we learned these things together. You know, you know what the end result of following the sin is, right? You know, when uh, we've, we've talked about it in James, you know, when uh, we, we get drawn away by our own desires. And that desire leads to sin. And sin's ultimate uh, end is death, right? That's what James tells us. What are you doing? That's 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 the wrong thing to do. So just understand where it says here that no one receives his testimony. Uh, that they, if if we're sharing in love and and sharing as we should, uh, and it gets rejected, it's not necessarily that they're rejecting us; they're rejecting God. Think of Jeremiah. You know, Jeremiah the prophet. I mean, he he was. Uh, he was he had experienced a whole lot of rejection and mockery in his life. He even said, "You know what? I'm not going to preach anymore. I'm just not going to do it." And the Lord ministered to him and showed him that he is going to. There there aren't any recorded converts from uh, Jeremiah's ministry. Think of that. You know everything he went through, and there are. It, it's not like, oh, hey, we're, we're all going to start listening to Jeremiah. No, they thought he was a crazy guy. Just understand the rejection is the Lord. Verse thirty four says. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He spoke. Uh, so what we see here is that uh, he spoke the words of God. You know, God is speaking his word. And I, I said that we'd cover this. Isaiah 55 verses 8 through 11 say, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways, uh, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. 
For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and uh, the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but the uh, but water the earth and make it bring forth uh, and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread uh, to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. It shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Goes on to say there that you know God doesn't. So we that's the the study of His word that, that that God's word goes out and accomplishes His will. You know it says there also that the God God doesn't give the Spirit by measure. God is omnip, omnipotent. So it isn't like oh I can only give you a little bit and you a little bit and you a little bit. Uh, he's omnipotent. His power it just it, it's continuous. There's He doesn't run out of power. That uh, He he continue He just continues to give His Spirit. It fills those who are seeking His face and that are called to serve him to overflowing. You know, if, if the Holy Spirit's being poured out uh, into the Christian heart and into the Christian life, the the reaction should be that we're ministering to others and that he's flowing out of us. You know, it, it, when we when we know the word and, and uh, there's an opportunity to share it, when God opens a the door, then share the word. You know, the Holy Spirit's ministering, uh, has ministered to us, and he's, he's wanting to work through us. Verse 35 says, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. Remember the Lord said, uh, God the Father said, uh, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So when you look back at the beginning of verse 35, it says the Father loves the Son. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Father loves the Son, has given all things under his hand. Ephesians 1, verses 22 and 23 say, uh, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In verse 36, uh, it's uh, it's explaining, you know, he who believes the Son and you know, it's it comes down to you know, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life. So it's, it really comes to down to each person. Each, each one of us uh, knows. You can either know, trust, and love Christ or reject him. It's, it's, when you hear the gospel, those are the two reactions. You know, there's that weight sometimes in the middle. That weight is, is uh, oftentimes a, a rejection for now because I'm not quite ready. Uh, it, 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 that, that's, a, that's foolish. You know, anybody who is of that mindset say, look, I understand that. But how do you know you know life isn't going to change for you uh, in the next on your ride home from work or whatever it is? You're being presented the gospel. What are you holding on to? What what is there that's more important than than eternal life? There's nothing will ever be presented uh, that's that's more important than eternal life. There's nothing. You know, and uh, we discussed last week that you can't be a non-born again believer. You know, Jesus made it. He made it very clear. A, a non-born again Christian can't exist. You can't be a follower of Christ. He even said that when we just read that back in uh, in the beginning of chapter 3. You must be born again to see the kingdom of God. So you can't be non-born again and say that you're a believer. You're either a believer in Christ and you've experienced the newness of life that comes in him, or you're still rejecting him, still pushing him away. So it's either we belong to Christ or not. You know, God's grace, mercy, and eternal life belong to those who believe in Christ and trust in him for salvation. 
At the end of 36, it says his wrath is, it's explaining that his wrath is reserved for those who reject him because men love darkness rather than light, right? We covered that earlier in the, in the chapter. So it's either, you know, we, we love ourselves and we love uh, what the world has, or we love the Lord and we've trusted him for salvation. John chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, for he, but he needed to go through Samaria. So here's an interesting thing that uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to uh, keep any side commentary to a minimum because we have a half hour and I have a ton of pages here that I need to get through. But it's important to understand when we get into this, there's a lot of consternation. There's a lot of hate between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews uh, completely rejected the Samaritans and the Samaritans completely rejected the Jews. And we'll get into that uh, a little bit more as we go. But understanding that when, when, Jesus, uh, when it says that Jesus had to go to Samaria, what we see is there is, there is a, a spiritual importance for him to go to Samaria because he didn't necessarily, uh, there, there was a way to get through. Uh, it was shorter to go. It was a three-day uh, three trip through Samaria, but because the Jews and, and the Samaritans didn't get along, they would, they would make the trip much longer and go around some, the, the, uh, the, area of Samaria, the area of Samaria. Uh, they would go through that because uh, they, they, they would even, they, if they had to go near it, they would shake off everything, get, the, get all the sand out of their sandals because they don't want to have Samaritan. Uh, half, they would consider them half-breeds spiritually and physically, and we'll talk about that here. So just understand when it says that Jesus has to go to Samaria, uh, in verse 34, we understand why he had to go to Samaria. It wasn't that he, you know, he had uh, some new hammers and, and stuff to pick up for you know, a carpentry or whatever. Uh, he had a spiritual uh, thing that he was going to. There was a harvest there that he needed to, to, to reap. And what we see uh, is that the Lord is, uh, is going there for a spiritual reason. Verses 1 and 2 uh, you know, we discussed Jesus's ministry being superior to John's, uh, but they're on the uh, they're on the same team, John and and uh, and Jesus, and they're you know to call sinners to repentance. So when the Pharisees had heard this, Jesus knew that as the Pharisees, and we saw it throughout his ministry, uh, the more popular he'd get, the more uh, more violent and the the bigger the opposition was. It wasn't time for him to be known as the Messiah yet. There, so when when this was uh, building up, Jesus went in a different direction is what it's, it's talking about here. Verse 3, uh, he departed uh, to Galilee, and, and uh, what we understand is that he spent, uh, from the other three Gospels, the majority of his time ministering in Galilee. Verse 4 is, is uh, saying his need to go to Samaria, and we just talked about that as we, as we move into that, just understanding that there was a ministry appointment for a woman at the well. Uh, probably familiar with this with this uh, passage. If you're not, it's a uh, it's one of the most popular uh, amongst when when somebody hears it because you you hear of a sinner that's uh, that's saved and it's a, it's a it's a blessing because sometimes you know when you read and you'll you'll think think of an argument or whatever and there there's a lot to gain from that but for someone who's lost to hear that someone that was lost heard the gospel responded to it and then uh, goes and, and tells everybody there's a lot here. As you know, I'm trying to get way ahead of myself. That's why I have notes here because I keep me keep me on track. Verse four, uh, verse five of John chapter four says, "So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, 
near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So uh, we, we discussed Samaria, and uh, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more. Jacob's well, there's not a lot documented about uh, Jacob's well, uh, but uh, we can tell here that there must have been common knowledge as it's, uh, as it's understood that, that that's where it was. Now, um, uh, you can dig into that a little bit, and you'll find some interesting stuff. Um, one thing that I, I had seen was that there's a now, a, for what they believe was Jacob's well, uh, is that they, they've actually built an Eastern Orthodox church around the well so that the well is inside. So the well's all but pretty much dried up now. And isn't that man's way to do it? Hey, let's ruin this by putting something over it that we can uh, be idolatrous about the well versus you know praising the one who came here and preached salvation. So they, they literally built a church around the well, uh, which was uh, uh, pretty interesting. So unfortunately... Um, it's been built over and, and doesn't hold much water now. You know, it's a religious shrine um, that would most likely lead people to idolatry. I remember uh, when uh, Jen and I lived in Italy, um, 99 to 2001, we went to Rome. And uh, we were pretty new in our, our, our actual, like, walking with the Lord. We had understood uh, the, the, the basic principles of the scripture, but we didn't have much of a, a relationship and didn't have much of a spiritual foundation. I grew up in the, in the Catholic church and I just remember going to church and as a kid and wanting to play and stuff while this guy's talking. I didn't, I didn't learn anything and um, I didn't, uh, didn't grow in my faith. So uh, at this point, the Lord had kind of grabbed us and, and we were plugged into Aviano Baptist church over, over there. And you guys have heard that, but uh, when we got to Rome, I was all excited. I'm like, Oh cool. We're going to go see the Coliseum. We're going to go in Sistine chapel. And we did. And all those things are overwhelming, but there was this great disappointment as we're going through there. And they've got little statues of the Pope everywhere. Yeah, they totally worship the Pope. And there's there's all kinds of little things to worship there that are being just sold outwardly. You know, it, it's 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 funny how man uh, can can take something and say, I need to have something to I need to be able to see something to worship it. You know, we uh, so I, I I think that's you know why that Eastern Eastern Orthodox Orthodox Church is there uh, is uh, they you know, take a, take advantage of an opportunity uh, and bring everybody to them that may be the case so what we do know about the well is you know Jacob may have provided his children with physical water uh, at the well but Jesus is providing this opportunity to speak of living water, spiritual water that's a, that's available and a spiritual, you know, that Samaria was known as a spiritual wasteland uh, where, uh, where the Jews had completely rejected them. So we see here that Jesus is weary as he sits by the well. He's fully God and he's fully man. So it wasn't like Jesus walked around like a superhero, was never hungry, was never tired, was never thirsty. What we see here. Uh, is that he, uh, as fully man, experienced life as we did. It wasn't like he came here superhuman and didn't really uh, ex experience, any, uh, experience any of the effects of, uh, that we do here uh, as humans. You know, what we see in, in John chapter 1 is the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He became one of us. And that means that he became one of us, 100% God, 100% man. 
Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 and 18 say, Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. At the, at, in verse 17 it says, He be made like his brethren. Verse uh, Hebrews 4, uh, 13, 14 and, uh, through 16 say, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but it was in all ways tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy to help. In time of need, Jesus was fully God, fully man. He came here. He understands what it is to be a human, to be hungry, to feel sorrow, to feel pain, all those things. We read in the scripture that Jesus wept. Jesus marveled at people's faith. He got angry. Remember the righteous anger that he had as he's driving out those people that are ripping people off in the temple. You know, he, we, we experienced, uh, as we read through, we understand that he was overwhelmed by what he was going to experience on the cross, that separation from the Father. And it, it, it got deep into his core so much that he's sweating great drops of blood. I mean, there, there's a lot that's happening there. You know, he experienced thirst and hunger. You know, he lived life as a human and experienced everything we do so he can visit us in any situation and minister to us. Whatever it is, we can't look at God. God, you don't know what it's like to be. Yes, he does, because he became one of us and walked here. So understanding who this is. So this goes on to say that it's the sixth hour. It's noon. That's not the hour that women would usually go to get water, usually in the morning or in the evening. So she's coming out. So we're starting to understand, if you're not familiar with it, uh, that uh, she's coming at a separate time than all the other ladies would. She's coming out at noon. What we understand as we read through here and what we, what we learn is that this woman was known as an immoral woman. She'd been married five times, and the man that uh, she was with now was not her husband. And uh, she'd been rejected by her culture, and look who Jesus is seeking. He didn't come to grab all the religious leaders and go, Hey, guys, you know, uh, we're, we're all going to be religious together, and, and you guys are, are, are going to be my sidekicks, and we're going to go around and, and give everybody the, the, um, the bondage of the traditions that you hold. He's No, he rejected that. And he went and he found the lowest of the low sinners. You know the ones that are rejected. So in at noon, at, at, you know the Jewish the the Jewish clock, uh, they would start at six o'clock. So six hour noon, she's going out at the most hot it, the window, and it's the most hot or the hottest uh, in the uh, in the day. She's going out to get water. She's uh, she's rejected by society, so she comes out then when you know, nobody's going to be there. So uh, as we discussed uh, with the Samaritans, uh, that there's, a, there's much hate between the Jews and the Samaritans, but, but Jesus showed his heart for the Samaritans several times. In this encounter, the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, we'll also uh, talk about the, uh, the ten lepers that were healed and, and that one of them came back to, to thank Jesus. So now to get a little into the history of the Jews and the Samaritans, uh, they, they hated each other and um, they uh, they would shun the Jews would hate uh, would shun the Samaritans and uh, they looked at the Samaritans as a mixed race. Uh, there was a uh, drawing away when the Assyrians uh, captured 
uh, northern Israel, and uh, what would happen is is when they would when they would take people away, is they would introduce people from other cultures, so that there wouldn't be any to really uprise. That they would mix them all up. So there's this, uh, you know, there would be. Uh, so for them, it would be some pagans mixed in with some Jews, and then eventually they they uh, started, you know, intermingling and intermarrying. And uh, so they were considered uh, to be half Jews, you know, and 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 half Gentile. So the Jews would, uh, so when they were taken away and, and then reestablished, uh, they those people in in this, the middle of Israel, uh, the Samaritans were rejected by uh, those Jews. And uh, they, you know, it's a a quick summary uh, is that they hated each other because they. Uh, and we'll get into this just a little bit more uh, regarding what they would what they would cling to. Uh, they they were not only a mixed race, uh, so they would they would intermarry, but they also uh, there were some that were involved in pagan worship, and so they were considered spiritually impure also. So they didn't have anything to do with each other. The Jews and the and the Gent and the uh, Samaritans had nothing to do with each other. So uh, Jesus addressed this division several times in his ministry, and. Uh, we see that God did mighty things in Samaria uh, in the book of Acts. Before we get there, I just spoke of it. Luke 17 is a, a describing the story of the ten lepers. As Jesus path, passed through Samaria and Galilee, ten lepers um, met him, and they stood afar off. They had to, uh, by law. They couldn't come close to somebody because they had leprosy, and they, they weren't supposed to be spreading it. So they cried out to Jesus, and as they did, they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And Jesus told them to go to the priests as the, as the law required, and they went and they were cleansed. And, and Jesus goes on to share that only one returned. When with a loud voice, a glorified God dropped to his face at Jesus' feet and gave him thanks. The one that returned was a Samaritan. Jesus made a point to share that. Jesus said, were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner, the one that's rejected by Israel? The only one that came was the one that is considered the reject, the one that's the half-breed. There's the only one that came back, dropped to his face, and praised God for what he did. And Jesus makes that at that point. You know, Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan, you know, portraying the half-Jew as a hero. It's, it's you know in the eyes of a legalistic Jew, the Samaritan would have been the least likely person to show that that compassion. You know God's love trans transcends you know all earthly prejudice. You know, we can learn a lot about uh, this in the president's uh, sorry the prejudices in our own heart regarding those that uh, might never uh, consider God doing amazing things you know for and through. You know when we could look at somebody like a, an addict that you might see. Uh, slumped over. I, I took my wife out to to dinner when we were down in um, uh, Massachusetts, and uh, you know the girls are old enough that they uh, could hang out. And uh, Jen and I went to get some some dinner, and as we did, we're uh, walking by a park, and we see a guy slumped down. He's standing up, but his whole body is is bent over. And Jen's just looking at that. I'm like, he's he's high on heroin. You know, he's barely standing, but that's that's where he's at. You know, people will look at that and go, I can't, why don't this guy, why doesn't he just go behind somewhere and, and kill himself? That's not the heart of the Lord at all, and it shouldn't be the heart of any Christian. That person right there is somebody's son or daughter. And they might be the last person that somebody thinks is going to come to God and be used by God. 
You know, Jesus is using these people, the, the Samaritans, to teach the Jews that the prejudice in their heart was wrong. I know and love several people that are have been that are currently in uh, addicted to very dangerous things, and I know that the Lord isn't done with them because they're still alive. You know, he that the prejudice in our heart. Oh, look at it, why don't these guys go off to tent city somewhere and go hide in the in the in the bushes and we don't have to see them anymore? No, you know, guess where Jesus would be, right in there. Hey, come out of there! I got freedom for you. brother of mine sharing that through his life and the tragedy that's that's been in his life that God has made him whole it's it, it, many would look I when you see a, a news caption of, of something and uh, the you know the the desire is for everybody oh let's go kill him don't get me wrong there are people that I've read the news of and like oh this person just killed you know think of you know a daycare uh, somebody went into a daycare in um, uh, some uh, Asian Asian country and and killed all the babies in there. Okay, that person's life. I, I wouldn't be sad if their life got ended. You know, there's there's that. But I'm not I'm not sitting here. Uh, the importance is for us not to have a prejudice saying that the Lord can't seek and save that which was lost. Did we forget the grace that we've been changed by? You know, to walk and have judging eyes. You know, God, God, Jesus deals with that so much here. You know, these people are known for being, you know, half breeds and, and immoral and, uh, you know, considered the bad egg, you know, whatever it was. And then there's the, the statement, but God, but God. And then when, when Jesus Christ comes into the story and we, we hear of those, you know, the, the most powerful of transformations, it doesn't have to be and guys. If we don't have that powerful transformation, you don't have to have committed the worst of what the world would see and, and, uh, and then come to the Lord and think, well, I don't really have a ministry to share. No, we're just called to tell our story, whatever that story is. You know, somebody may have been much deeper or in, in much more peril in the way they were walking, but that doesn't mean that their testimony uh, is uh, of any, uh, any more importance than ours. It just it might benefit more uh, dif different people in a different setting. But we're called to share our testimony of what Christ has done in our lives. God, once again, blessing the world through Samaria. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus told them, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to all the earth. Acts chapter 8, Saul had been persecuting the church and the church is scattered. Uh, Acts 8, verses 4 through 8 says, Therefore those who were scattered went uh, everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and, Samaria and preached Christ to them. And listen to their response. Philip goes down and speaks to the deplorables nobody that nobody wants to accept. And uh, it says, And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did, for, uh, for unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in the city. But God, right? But God is sent to the place that they wouldn't think of. Back in John chapter 4, verse, uh, verse 7. 
A woman, so we, we see that Jesus is sitting at the well. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now, in, in the, uh, the language, it wasn't like, hey, woman, give me a drink. It wasn't like a derogatory. It's, it's Jesus asking for a drink. And his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. As we discussed, Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. There was no intermingling, so they didn't have anything to do with one another. Uh, and also the men wouldn't talk to a woman in public. And, and, and so uh, there are two, a few different things here that, that are being addressed. And uh, the disciples were in the city buying food. Now, Jesus has a divine appointment with this woman. And uh, when it says that he had, I, I'm convinced of this, uh, that, that that's why Jesus had to pass through. Uh, when I look at verse 34, and Jesus is speaking of the harvest that needs to happen. Jesus had a divine appointment. It did, this didn't happen by chance or random circumstance. Jesus had to go there to, to minister. You know, it could have been, uh, you know, for uh, it, just think of, what else would Jesus have done that we wouldn't be that we would be studying two thousand years later? I'm convinced that if Jesus went there and ministered to her, and it's written down here, that that's why Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now there may be an argument, and that's okay. That oh, you know, he had to go through here, and there's some business reason or whatever it was. I'm convinced that we're reading this two thousand years later because he had to go there to minister to her and preach to the to those lost in Samaria. I got to fast forward here. Jesus answered, so he asked for water, and she's asking why, why he's um, you know, asking her for a drink. And Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep, said to be 75 feet or so deep. Uh, when, uh, where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us a well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? So uh, Jesus is now introducing himself to this woman as, as a, giving, a giver of living water. And what we understand is that the living water is the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is saying, uh, he's, he's starting to explain to her that he can give her a spiritual water that is going to uh, fulfill her more than, uh, than the water that's in there. And, and uh, so when, when Jesus says that, uh, he's, he's turning the conversation from physical water. So he's speaking of the Holy Spirit. So this can, this, she doesn't know it, but this conversation is going to change her uh, for the rest of her life. And it's going to change uh, that region. It's going to minister to her whole region. So she has no idea. She's going as a woman that's been rejected in society, and she's going to get water like she did every day. You carry that heavy pot of water back and you know, go about her day. She has no idea that on a normal day, just going about her business, her life's about to change like that in a conversation with Jesus Christ. So Jesus immediately started talking to her about a different kind of water. Uh, one that she uh, didn't know and understand and, she needed, uh, and that she needed eternal life. And we can be the same. We all have a spiritual need for Jesus Christ to quench our, uh, to quench our uh, spiritual needs. Uh, some may say it's a, you know, a, a God-shaped void. You may have heard of that, that hole in a, uh, somebody's heart or that, that thing that only God can, can fulfill. You know, there are other things that seem to do that for a short while. Then we realize instead of filling our lives, those things are emptying us and they're squeezing the life of joy and peace out of us. 
Now, I already talked about how sin comes in and acts as though it's going to fulfill us and, and, and need our desires and, and everything. And all its desire is is to take our lives. And that doesn't have to be just addiction. That can be anything. It can be an uh, you know adulterous affair. It can be uh, you know sex outside of marriage. It could be uh, whatever. Whatever you can you can put any tag on it. There's nothing that's going to fulfill us as as God can. So she's spiritually blind to this, and she asks Jesus. Uh, she's asking these questions, and Jesus begins to masterfully open her eyes as they're talking. Uh, and he, he's, he's telling her of something that's of greater need in her life that uh, nobody or, or no thing can offer. And you know, she mentions that the well's deep, and, and she's asking, you know, how does this happen? And the the depth of that well has nothing on the depths of God's grace, mercy, uh, and his his love. You know, you think of okay, it's a seventy five foot well, and all those things. Yeah, you're going to get water that's going to somewhat. Uh, help you, but Jesus is speaking of a much deeper uh, well, and uh, there's there's no end to that well of God's grace, love, and mercy. I mean, we can reject it, but but it's not like God's like, oh, you know, too many people have been saved. I don't have enough grace. You know, I don't have enough love for everybody. All right, you know, it's uh, there's a deep well of God's love, and you know, she's she's meant to, you know, Jesus Jesus is sharing uh, something much greater. It can save any sinner, sinner heal anyone who's broken and restore a wretch. You know, life's a mess. Go to Jesus. And she asks, "Are you are you greater than our father Jacob?" Simply put, yes. You know, that's that's what's you know we could answer that. You know, Jacob was a patriarch that was highly respected, and and the Samaritans uh, had had embraced the first five books of the Bible but rejected the rest. So they still uh, stood on those first five books. So uh, Jacob was still somebody that uh, that they would uh, respect and uh, that they held in in high esteem. Verse thirteen, Jesus said to her, "Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water." Uh, that I shall give him will will never thirst, but the water that I shall I I give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So Jesus is now getting much more pointed, and he's describing that the water of the well will temporarily fill that physical need, but that there's a uh, water that he offers that's superior to the water. You know, the well is visited every day for physical thirst, but uh, Jesus used uh, thirst here as a picture. Uh, of a spiritual need and a longing that everybody has. So he's he's meeting her where she's at, and she's there because of physical thirst. And that's how that's how God usually will work with us is He'll meet us right where we're at. She was there to get what she believed she needed, and God ministered and said, "You yes, you, you know we do need water to live, humans. We do, but more so that spiritual life or eternal life. We need Jesus Christ." And he explains that after uh, someone has a relationship with with him, uh, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, we know the truth, and uh, we start understanding. Once we know the Lord, we understand how we got here. Who those big questions in life? Who am I? How did I get here? Uh, where am I going? Like, where, where's all this going? It, it, you know, we know these things. Who created us, and where we're going after death? You know, we've experienced uh, His fulfillment. And satisfaction for our soul, you know, that Jesus Christ would leave us whole and complete. You know, and drinking from that fountain of water, uh, His fountain uh, of water, will result in everlasting life. Christ has delivered us from the power and rule of sin, and the Holy Spirit fills us and empowers us to live a godly life. 
You know, he ministers to us and, and explains the scriptures. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Still not completely getting it, right? It sounds pretty good, but she's still not there. She's not understanding everything. Um, uh, you know, she's, she's, you know, one that's known as an immoral woman. And, you know, uh, so she, uh, Jesus is um, ministering to someone that's known as immoral. And we know that in John chapter 3, he had a discussion with one that was known as a moral person in Nicodemus. He's ministering to both of them, as we read. Now, uh, you know, she asked for this water that he's speaking of. His response goes right to the sin in her life. We're going to see that here uh, just in a second. He's so faithful to address the, that which is harmful and not just say, hey, you know what? You can continue in that and and uh, understanding that, hey, this this is you know going to lead to our, our death or uh, lead to uh, things that are going to ruin, our, 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 ruin us spiritually. You know, he's so faithful to put his finger right on it because he wants us to experience his grace uh, in eternal life. You know, she asked for that water, and uh, he began to immediately uh, just speak to her of it. It's that ask and you shall receive. Not a prosperity doctrine, ask and you shall receive. And you're going to, you know, people are just going to start sending you $10,000 check, check in the mail. I'm 43 years old. It's never happened. It's not just going to happen, right? Je when Jesus said that, ask and you shall receive, it's heavenly things, not earthly things. If we need earthly things, God's going to provide those. We can ask. For those things, but if we're asking for selfish things, remember Jesus was addressing that. You know, you ask because you're you're asking, uh, you know, to fulfill the lust of your flesh. Basically, I'm paraphrasing it. You know, you ask for those things that that are just going to bless you, uh, you know, physically. You know, you're not going to get those things. Verse 16. Jesus said to her, "Go, call your husband and come here." The woman answered and said, "I have no husband." Jesus said to her, "You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband." And that you spoke, and that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, "Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet." So now she's getting it, right? It's it's making more sense, and it would have been more culturally acceptable for uh, Jesus to speak with this woman with with a husband. So you know, uh, when he says that, you know, it, it could be perceived as as uh, he's asking, "Hey, let's make this a little more culturally acceptable." And she's like, "Well, I don't, I don't have a husband," you know. But he's Jesus. What we see is Jesus is is addressing the sin in her life. You know, uh, they, these two are living together, uh, but they're not married. And uh, it's very acceptable in many cultures, including ours these days. Hey, it's 2022. You can, you know, they, we don't have to look at the Bible. That's all old and everything. It's still forbidden in the scripture. The relevance of God's scriptures uh, have not changed. You know, our desire for that which is against God has, and we justify it. That's, that's the difference there. You know, so we can look at, well, you know, that really doesn't doesn't count for, for this day because how are you really going to know if you're compatible? You know, all those things. Well, you know what? You hear from the Lord, you pray, you seek him, his face together. And then once you both hear from the Lord that you're to be married, that's your lifelong commitment. And you walk together in life through that and you figure things out. You, know, you can't just go in. I don't know how this is going to end up in 10 years. Nobody does about anything. This doesn't happen. So Jesus here uh, is is uh, addressing her sin, and and uh, you know he's so faithful to put his finger right on exactly what it was, and and to address these things, and he reveals that he knows her history. So when he says, "Yeah, uh, you know, you're not married now, and uh, you've had five husbands, and the one that you have right now is not," so they they've never met before. So she understands, okay, this is a spiritual conversation. I perceive that you're a prophet. She's now understanding, and she uh, she's understanding that, that, that 
that she's being spoken to by God. I, I, Spurgeon's take on this is, uh, it says, you know, I perceive that you're a prophet. I loved, I laughed, you know, when I read this. It would have been better if she had perceived that she was a sinner. <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay, that's for us. It's, you know, I, I can dance all around it and uh, forget the fact that, that I'm, I'm the sinner. Another quote by Spurgeon, Christ has different doors for entering into different people's souls. And to some he enters by their understanding, and to many by their affections. To some he comes by the way of fear, to another by the way of hope, and to this woman he came by way of her conscience. So the Lord's going to minister to us as we need to be ministered to. I'm going to keep going here, and I'll be as brief as I can, but I can't leave us hanging right here. Our father, She responds, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming uh, when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship uh, we uh, we know what we so he's talking about you, Samaritans, we the Jews worship uh, we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. There's a lot that happened right here, and I only have a, a little bit of a summary because what just spoke, uh, you know, some some needs more uh, commentary. Uh, in Mount Gerizim is is what she's talking about, and that was their holy place. And you know, she had a spiritual question, and Jesus answered it here. You know, Jesus makes it clear that he's a Jew and addressing the problem that Samaritans face, where they had re they only reject uh, they only accept those five first books of the Scripture, and they're rejecting the rest. You know, we, we can't create our own belief system uh, and then presume that they're true. You know, that's and that's the Samaritans had kind of created and they took what they wanted and they rejected the rest. You know, true worshipers, he goes on to say, will worship God in spirit and in truth. It's not about a physical place. She's talking about, you know, that the, the mountain was the place and, and you guys in the temple and everything. And Jesus is like, all, all the places, all the things that you can think of, that doesn't even matter. It's all about it's all about worshiping God in spirit and in truth, you know, in spirit, the spiritual realities of God and the truth, according to the word of God, the whole counsel of God. That's how we worship. The reality of who the true God is and, and what is in the scripture, that's how we worship God. In verse 24, uh, it's the first time that Jesus confesses that he's the Christ of someone he's ministering to. And to who? A Samaritan. A Samaritan. So when she brings that up, he brings that, yeah. The Savior, uh, the Messiah, I am he, him. Verse 27. At this point, his disciples came and marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, "Why? Uh, what do you seek? Or uh, why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, uh, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come and see. I told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? That they went out, uh, then they went out. Of the city and came to him. I'm going to blast through this as much as I can and quickly. The, so the disciples return. They're all confused and they're asking what's going on. This woman at this point, she had heard the words of Jesus uh, and his claim to be the Messiah, and she leaves the bot the water pot and think of that as even as a burden. She left it right there and is running right in uh, to talk and to tell everybody in the city. You know that. Um, 
we should do the same. You know, leave the burden behind that, that heavy thing she was carrying. You know, immediately she goes in and she tells people of the good the, the good news she had. You know, could this be the Christ when she gets there? And everyone hears and wants to meet him. You know, she's there and she's just telling how Jesus ministered to her. You know, and that's that's what we can share. You don't have to be a, a big theologian that's been through all the, the seminaries and all those things to share your story. Know the word and share it accurately and effectively, but just tell our story. Just tell, just just share it. You know, God meets us where we are, just like this lady addresses a need for repentance, tells how we can be saved. We can either reject it uh, and and share, or, uh, sorry, we can either accept it and share or reject it and and forsake the Lord. She accepted, ran back and tells everybody. This is the final part. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, "Rabbi, eat." And he said to him, "I have food to eat." of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white with harvest. Uh, I've heard Bible teachers say, uh, look up and, and to that." as they may have looked up, that they'd see the Samaritans coming their way. I, I love that. I mean, can we make a dogmatic stance about it? I don't know. But I, I like it, and I, th I think that may have been what happens. And he says, uh, And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this saying is true. One reaps, uh, for in this the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that uh, which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. So going back to the beginning of this section, they're confused and, uh, and the disciples are uh, confused. and They're trying to figure out what's going on and they're offering Jesus food. Uh, he responds with a spiritual answer and they're now even more confused trying to figure it out. They're trying to figure out, you know, what he could have eaten. And Jesus explains that the work that he that God had for him to finish is what nourishes him. You know, uh, you know, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Jesus explains that there's a spiritual harvest at hand that they had been called to minister to reap and experience the spiritual blessings and uh, benefits of ministry. You know, they they didn't sow like Jesus said, but they were there to reap. Remember, Paul was talking about one may sow, uh, another would water, and uh, that, uh, that you know God would be uh, glorified as He works in and through somebody's life. You know, share the harvest. The God, the 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 harvest is ready. Wrapping up right here, thirty nine through forty two, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed in Him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all things I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. That's two days of Bible study with Jesus. That's awesome. And many, were, uh, and many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this, indeed, this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Remember, these are the rejects. These are the Samaritans that nobody thought would come to Christ, that nobody thought would be a Christian. You know, he and they said he indeed is the the Christ, the Savior of the world. You know, sinners that had heard the gospel, and they she a sinner, this woman had heard the gospel, and she ran and told others, and they believed. You know, many came. It says many became believers. 
And he stayed there with them for two days. And they believed his words, it says. You know, it was his word that changed them. It wasn't, he didn't, he didn't go there. Because remember, we've talked about this. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I've got one more little note. I, I promise I'll wrap this right up. But Jesus said, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after signs. Okay, when these guys just heard the words of Jesus, they knew that he is who he says he is. And they placed their faith and trust in him, and they make that declaration. Says, And they even said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him. Ah, it's his word that changes. It's his word that does the work. We may see things, and that may be something to uh, see a miracle in someone's life to grab our attention, but faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? The, it's the word that ministers to us and changes us. Know God, get into his word and know it, and tell our story, the lost need it. We're called to be salt and light, amen? Sorry to keep you, but we're only 10 minutes over. So let's pray. Father, you are so gracious. So loving, Lord, that the last person that anybody would 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 uh, be ministered to and be saved and go and tell somebody, Lord, you use so many examples of that in the Scripture. Oh, it's the sick that need the physician. Lord, we're blessed by this. The two thousand years after we read this, we know that, as it says in verse thirty-four, the harvest was ready, and that's why you had to go to Samaria to minister to all those lost people. And you did it through a sinner who heard the word and, 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 and confessed that you were Messiah Go and went and told everybody. Everybody around her heard and believed. You are so gracious, so loving. Lord, help us that have, have turned our eyes to you and placed our faith and trust in you to understand that we don't have to be the, the best communicator. All we have to do is, is and know your word and uh, share, share it accurately and just tell our story. It's going to minister, Lord, that we would share it just on a level uh, that we can reach anybody on a personal level, that they would understand that we care and, uh, and that we love them and we want them to experience your grace as we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.